Good evening and welcome to Making a Television Drama, which is part of the BAFTA Cymru Awards Sessions. This is an online series which celebrates some of the nominees for this year's awards and gives us an insight into the craft of TV, film and games production. So these virtual events are part of BAFTA's role to share expertise from across the industry with audiences here in Wales and across the UK. And if you want to know more, just check out BAFTA.org or of course, have a look at our social channels. So on we go. You can ask questions, uh, of course, just type them in. There should be a function down there called Q&A. Uh, say who you are if, if you can and we'll make sure there's plenty of time for those questions at the end of the session. We've got a great lineup of speakers, one from each of the nominated dramas for this year's BAFTA Cymru Best Drama Award. to all of them. Let's welcome them in now. Adrian Bate is the executive producer of Keeping Faith in Boromecha, series one and two. Hello, Adrian. Hi, good evening. Hi. Uh, next up, we have Jane Tranter, executive producer of His Dark Materials. Hello. Hello, good evening. And next up is Neris Evans, who is exec producer of In My Skin. Shamai Neris, hello. Hello, And then we have, last but not least, Tracy Simpson, producer of The Left Behind. Hi, Claire. Hi, everyone. Hi everyone. So welcome to everybody. Let's get started. I just wanted to go around each of you and ask you a bit about starting out with your project. What, what was the ambition and what, in a way, what were the worst fears? What were the biggest challenges you could see ahead of you? And I'm going to start you, with you, Adrian, because at least you had the stonking success of series one under your belt. But does that make, does that just add to the pressure of embarking on series two? Uh, not particularly. I think I think what's perhaps different about keeping faith than some of the other contestants this evening is is that, um, of course, we shoot back to back and we shoot in two languages. Um, and I guess one of our biggest um, problems that we have is is that it, it means that we have to have essentially bilingual actors, and it means that we're we're drawing on a much smaller pool of actors as a result. And I think one of the ongoing challenges is to constantly um, refresh uh, the, the talent pool in front of the camera. I think also, uh, and it happens at S4C, um, who we started developing the series for many, um, or back in probably about 2013, um, uh, they have a policy whereby you can't actually cross-pollinate actors between different series on S4C. So if there's a, a wonderful actor who we'd love to use, and they happen to be in one of, one of the S4C dramas that's due, due or about to transmit, then we can't use them. So the pool gets ever smaller. So that's a constant challenge that we had on, on Keeping Faith. But in terms of are they any more of a challenge, I think uh, quite naturally all you want to do is raise the bar every series you do. So that's the challenge in actually making the second series better than the first. I'm muted, beg your pardon. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so Jane, you have a massive budget. You have an adaptation of a book loved by millions. You have perhaps the less um, salutary example of a film version not going down too well. What could possibly go wrong? 
Absolutely nothing. I think the only thing we had to fear in making his dark materials was fear itself, probably. Um, I always thought that um, my job on his dark materials as producer was, was to do, um, I always felt like I was saying to everybody, right, we're going to sling this tightrope between um, uh, over the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or something and we're going to walk along it and I'm going to go first and uh, it will be completely fine and all you have to do is keep your eyes on where you're going and it will be fine and um, and everyone wrote themselves together and off we go and you'll kind of like go and just kind of keep your eyes on the horizon and hope that you never heard anyone kind of like fall off behind you. Um, but I, I think probably the in all the challenges you raise and then some and then some um, but I think the biggest challenge probably was actually remembering that size really doesn't matter. And yes, it's a big production, but every production day is a production day. And the challenges that we faced will be no different than the challenges that Adrian faced, apart from the fact we were lucky enough to only be filming in one language. And I think it was really about trying to preserve a sense of personal emotional intimacy, not only to the filming process, um, particularly with kids, but also to the finished piece itself, no matter how much scale and epic stuff you threw around it. I'm going to remember to unmute now. Neris, um, you're in an unusual situation because you're making a new series, but there's already been a pilot, which mm -hmm. has already won awards and lots of acclaim. That's a, quite a peculiar situation to be in as a, an exec producer, isn't it? It is. I mean, I feel like the pretender here because I'm in such esteemed company of so many people that have made so much more drama than me. But I suppose the um, the bar was low. Is that it was it was more of the unknown going into this brand new show, brand new writer, brand new director, and an unknown cast. So it's sort of we could only fail upwards, I suppose. Um, but yes, the, the, the response of the pilot was so extraordinary and obviously some sort of alchemy happened when we made that pilot that um, we made something very special that we're very proud of. So to build on that for the series um, felt like a, a natural step, but I'd say a lot of the hard work had been done in that pilot process to, to get the script to a, a place that felt authentic and real and um, had something to say to find a director that was so kind of emotive and, and um, in tune with the writer. And also to find that cast, to find Gabrielle Creevy, who did win best uh, kind of female performance at last year's um, BAFTA Cummings, um, was, you know, that's the stars aligned for us really. We were so lucky to have such, such a talented group of people come together. Um, and, and again, Joe um, uh, also, you know, to, to join us, it was, uh, you know, such a lucky thing to get Joe Hartley to play the, the mum as well. So yes, it, it's uh, something we're incredibly proud of, but um, kind of, uh, we had no expectations in a way. And also we're commissioned by comedy. So it's a half hour. Um, I've made the unfunniest comedy ever because now I'm nominated for a drama, but it's um, one of those things where, um, yes, we, we were kind of, we could make it up a little bit and, and uh, an experiment as well, which is obviously terribly exciting for a new show. I just wondered on that, I mean, the, the, this kind of curious thing that it, it, it's defined as a comedy, but of course, a lot of it is heart-wrenching drama. 
Yes. And just trying to keep the, on that tightrope between the two must have been one of the challenges. It's hugely challenging just on a tonal level. It's commissioned as a half hour through BBC Three, which I think, you know, these days most things are seen as scripted programmes, so it's hard to delineate between, you know, what is comedy, what is drama. There are so many shows that kind of touch on both. Um, and it was a co-commission between BBC Three and through the comedy department and then BBC Wales. So again, it um, was one of those strange little shows that didn't fit into any kind of pure box, but it just had to be what it was and, and kind of be really true to what we wanted to make. And then we knew that we could never please everybody, although we did hopefully everyone felt proud of it by the end of it. It was, uh, yeah, we were just very lucky to get the opportunity to make it really. And Tracy, I think I'm unmuted. Yes, I am. Can you make sure you're unmuted? Um, in uh, the left, left behind is a, yet another kind of drama from the ones we've been talking about because it is it's what's called a factual drama. It's not based on a true story, but it was based on a huge amount of research, mm. and it was about a very big kind of pressing social social issue. So, uh, what were the challenges for you setting about making that show? So, so, so the left behind is is a tragic story of one man's journey into the far right. Um, so, our challenge was ensuring that we were representative and responsible in our portrayals, um, and and gaining the trust, gaining the trust of the homeless that we that we filmed amongst. Um, that 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 was our biggest challenge, and just making it authentic and a true portrayal. Um, the other challenge was the budget, which which we um, we had a fantastic cast and crew, and you know we, we by a miracle we managed it, and it's it looked brilliant. So sorry about that, I'm <laughs> unmuted. Your your director, who's a kind of very key player in this, Joseph Bullman. Mm. I mean, his, his background is documentary. I mean, he's only recently started going into making these factual dramas. Well, that's he's right. Got, he's got he... experience, but he hasn't got a lot of drama mm, experience. Mm. <clears throat> Joe is fantastic. Joe is like a, 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 a little rocket of enthusiasm and talent and passion. And um, so, so when I was asked to work on the project, I, I, I watched Joe's Killed by My Debt and which is just absolutely fantastic and I thought my god we have we've got to make something as brilliant if not better than that um yes Joe's Joe, and so Joe hasn't much hasn't done much drama and so his but but you know killed by my dad is just absolutely fantastic but we we had Steve Laws our brilliant DOP because Joe was sort of shooting the left behind sort of docu style um was giving the script supervisor a, an absolute nightmare um, <laughs> and you know saying to sound we, we've got the take we've got the take um, so so between Steve and Joe they sort of decided how they were going to shoot it and it, it, it was sort of um, it, it suited it suited the subject and it, it was it was sort of the same as killed by my debt but um, yeah it's all good I want to talk next about your relationship with the writers of your dramas. Um, they're absolutely crucial, kind of fulcrum in all of this. Um, now, starting with you, because because what you were making was the writer, Kayleigh Flewellyn's 
story. It's it, the material is her life, mm -hmm. and that's a, a particularly sensitive, challenging yeah. but very privileged thing to be doing. I just wondered how you and and she worked together on the, on these scripts. Um, well, it, obviously, there's it, there's quite a lot of weight to trying to get it right as well. But you really have a kind of a duty of care to do your best work for somebody who's telling such a sensitive story. She's a massively charismatic and talented writer, so it's easy in a way to kind of to imagine what it would be, even though it's such a, you know, in parts grim story to tell about her experience. But there's so much hope in her writing as well, and such wit and warmth. So my biggest challenge really was trying to do it justice to go, we need to do this show in such a way that it lives up to the writing, which was, of course, beautiful. Um, so it all came down to like, how are we going to replicate you? It's your story and we have to pass it on and, and give it to a, an actress that makes it their own as well. It's not an impression. It's not somebody that sort of um, can't bring that something else to it as well. So there was, she was a, a wonderful writer in, in a very uh, collaborative way, uh, not only with the director, but um, you know, to be on, on set all the time as well, which we loved. Um, to be able to to talk uh, to all of the performers, kind of in in scenes, and to advise and to um, to reassure as well. So she's yes, it's such a, a an important story to tell. We just wanted to do do it justice for her, um, and yes, her. Um, it's and also Cardiff was such a big part. You know, we wanted to, everything for it to ring true and the setting of it. Um, we were filming in roads that she'd lived on. <laughs> it felt like such a, a brilliant thing to be able to 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 go to like the, the detail that she wanted to to get across and the um, uh, and the tone as well, just to make sure that even when you get right to the the depth of the the emotion, she pulls it back with the comedy and and the and the um, almost uh, kind of humorous undercut. But yes, she's an extraordinary bit of talent. And yeah, she, she's going to go far, I think. Mm. And Tracy, I mean, we've talked a bit about the research for um, The Left Behind, but the, the, the process of writing sounds quite unusual in that uh, it sounds as though Alan Harris, the writer, and Joseph Bullerman together did a lot of that research, met a lot of the people. Um, quite an unusual genesis for a drama to have the the director and the writer working so closely. Yes, yeah, and 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 obviously Aisha, um, Aisha Raphael did a lot of work with with Alan and Joe. Um, uh, Alan is a local boy, so you know he 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 wanted authenticity. Um, they they did a lot of research prior to my coming on board. But, you know, every, every trip that, that, you know, whenever Joe came down to Cardiff, he'd want to stay in a hotel that was right in the middle of Cardiff city centre. And he'd literally walk the streets. Um, and, you know, they, they, they met people like Neil, um, Neil Dames, who's, who's a um, far-right extreme, ex extreme, extremist expert, rather. Um, they'd go up to, they, they spoke with the Huggard Centre, um, they spoke to um, a the communities in Ely, um, the communities in the docks, just getting the feel of it. It was an immense amount of of research. And and was there a moment when Alan would say, "I've just you've just got to let me go off and write this now"? I mean, how did how did that did that moment come? <laughs> It, it probably did. It probably did, and that's something he probably said to Aisha and Aisha and to Joe. Um, 
But yes, yeah. Because yeah. in the end, you know, they've got to sit down and yeah, they've got to yeah. deliver a vision of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Um, Jane, you had a, an, an interesting challenge in that you have, in a way, two writers, you know, the, the fantastic novelist who produced all this, this dark material in the first place and the wonderful Jack Thorne doing it justice in terms of a screenplay. I mean, did that become a kind of three-cornered relationship between them and you? How did, how did that work? Um, I think it, it was it, it's probably um, almost the opposite, I think, of what Tracy was saying, where you sort of start wide and then, you know, and then Alan sort of went off and burrowed into it himself. I think what um, what happened with this is that I think, you know, if Jack was here, he would say, well, we all had to go out and get a PhD in his dark material. So and that's how Jack tackles doing um, any form of adaptation, but particularly on his dark materials, because the mythology behind it is very complicated. And there is also an interpretation of, as often happens in trilogies, there's an interpretation of the first part of the trilogy that you only, that, that actually you can see again if you've read the whole. And so that the writer, the novelist at the time perhaps wasn't quite seeing, but in retrospect, they kind of backfill and it's good for you to pick up those threads. So we had to become experts on all three books in order to work through. Um, and um, Philip Pullman was absolutely, you know, the godfather to the project. We very solemnly went down and saw him um, and got attacked by his dogs um, in Cumnall and kind of like worked our way through um, what he wanted and what he didn't want and where we thought, well, you know, maybe even if you don't want it, a television audience perhaps would benefit from that. And we worked our way through it all. Um, there were some things, there were obviously some threads from book two we pulled into our first season. So we introduced Will Parry, for example, in season one, because I felt that his backstory set in our world was really important. And it was a really important story, I think, to really savour that backstory and get across the fact that um, heroes are made, you know, in that sort of teenage world, sometimes of having to look after your parent yourself. And that's obviously a particular element of the drama that was very particular to Jack Thorne's type of writing. And so Jack would go off and he'd bury himself into the books and he'd turn out his his drafts of all eight episodes really quite quickly. He's a phenomenal writer, um, very prolific, but phenomenal. And at that point, we had to sort of open the writing process up. At, at, at that point, it, this is where I think it's sort of unusual and sort of both creative and uncreative um, because of the visual effects elements, because of the design elements. Um, you, you, that Once Jack wrote his scripts, they kind of needed them to be shared perhaps slightly more sharingly than a writer would normally want their material to be shared and we had to sort of make changes within to, to work through what was the art of the possible and um, Jack was brilliantly open-hearted about all of that and changed his material again and again and again until we finally got something that you know we could make and afford to make um, but that still had the heart of the novel and and still had Jack's voice to it as well so it was a it was a it was a you know everyone says it television you know it takes a village and it really does including the script process in in this particular in this particular adaptation 
And there would be some writers who would find that intrusion very, very difficult, that, you know, that kind of sharing at every stage. Yes. Very yes, yes. I, I think that, I mean, we were just really lucky because Jack Thorne obviously is, you know, one of the most phenomenal writers I've ever worked with and probably, you know, I might ever work with, you know, he, and um, and so even a bit of shared Jack Thorne is 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 an extraordinary thing to have. And he was he was really good. Um, and uh, told us, you know, told us to F off when he, you know, quite firmly when he thought that, you know, it was okay, I've shared enough kind of thing. Um, but it was, it was, it was, I've never had a process like it, but it was a, a loving process. It was a real labor of love for Jack and for everybody. Mm. So Adrian, you're into series two, obviously the nomination is for series two um, of Keeping Faith in Bodomerche. Uh, it's created by Matthew Hall, but I, I'm not sure. Did you have other writers on the first series as well, or uh, no, not only the in the second series. one? Uh, not in the first series, um, but on the second series, um, Pip Broughton, um, who's very much at the centre of the whole project, uh, came in and wrote uh, a couple of the episodes as she's done in series three. Um, and, and that was a perfect match, really, because it, it, it is a very female-centric show. I mean, it is very much from a woman's... Uh, a woman's view viewpoint, and um, I mean, what Matthew did was was a, a, apart from coming up with with a brilliant series. I, I think he he came up with a very very simple premise, which is is kind of what what would you do if your life partner just got in their car one day and went to work and just never came back? And it almost it it's sort of everything kind of sprung from that one that one line. Um, and it's quite interesting, and certainly in the first series, we had a lot of discussion, um, both with, with audiences and ourselves, about well, what actually would you do? I mean, think it through. What would you do? You know, you, your, your emotions turn from annoyance to anger to, to worry to compassion to, to all. You, you go the huge gamut of, of, of emotions, which um, Eve Miles managed to, managed to deliver brilliantly uh, in two languages. Um, and um, so, so yes, yeah, so so from the from Matthew's genesis, um, uh, it was brilliant that, that 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 Pip could bring this real female centric viewpoint to it. Um, and working with Eve very closely, um, uh, Eve, uh, as it's well known that Eve doesn't actually speak Welsh, which is even more astounding that she's done now three series in Welsh. Um, and for those of you who who know a little bit about the Welsh language, it's not easy. So she did amazingly well. Um, but yeah, so, so uh, you know, Pitt brought this female-centric view to it. We started off, as I said before, we started, it started as an S4C show and then grew, and then grew into a, uh, an S4C BBC Wales show. And then it grew again as it, as it transported itself to BBC One. Um, so we seem to have was struck, a, struck an emotional chord. Um, which actually, I mean, it's very interesting how all these, 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 the four nominees and the four productions are totally, totally different. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a great, um, uh, 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 you know, a, a great feather in, in everybody's cap that we can all get in the same room and make completely different drama. And it'd be really interesting for different reasons. Um, it's, it's interesting you were saying about Pip bringing, Pip who obviously had worked very closely on series one as director and so on. Um, bringing a female centre perspective because that's really what what we had from day one with Keeping Faith and I mean in a sense you know huge achievement on Matthew's part that that that's how it went down with the audience you know wow this is at last a drama that really 
feels very female centered. I, I mean, think he, was, he did that. He did. And, and, and um, Matthew's very also very well known as a novelist, but he brought this great story. But I think from from day one, if you, it, it went through a bit of a filter with Pip, really. I mean, Pip managed to take it from Matthew's script and just made gave it an extra layer of complexity of if you like female complexity which it needed and and the way pip directs it's very intimate um it's almost it's very tactile almost in the way she 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 uh, she directs and that actually suited the that suited matthew's script brilliantly so by osmosis i think it became uh pip became the only probably the only other person who could have written scripts for the show mm. I'm not muting, yeah, just checking that. Um, I just want to talk to you all a bit about the 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 design, the look of, of your your shows, the, the way they're directed and the audience's experience. You know, we are talking about television, it's a visual medium. Um, starting you with you, Jane, I mean, obviously uh, massive visual ambition and you've talked a bit about the way the writer had to work, you know, rather unusually with people who are actually trying to implement, turn this vision into something that was doable. Um, but it, it seems to me, you know, with his dark materials, one of your major challenges was, you know, the audience had to say, wow, a lot in that first episode. We all had to go, oh, and we did, and we did. Um, but you're like a kind of general with regiments of specialists working on stuff that, you know, I presume they know far more about than you do. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering how you ride that tightrope of delivering that creative vision and literally, I mean, vision, the way it's going to look with the emotional heart of those amazing stories. Is that the job you're there to do, do you think? Um, well, uh, the way I, but even before um, we'd really, you know, even before we had a script in place and I was thinking, okay, how, how am I gonna, you know, I don't know anything about visual effects. Um, I've never done anything like this before. Um, how how are how are we going to do it? And I think the thing I sort of held to me um, and sort of hugged to me to sort of make me feel safe as we were working on it, and I kept sort of blithely saying to everyone, "Yes, of course we can do it." You know, demons, it's fine. Um, was I always had this image in my head of this kind of like table, like a a, a round table. Um, where there would be places. Um, so by my right-hand side would be a production designer. By my left-hand side would be our visual effects supervisor. We would have our producer. We'll have a chair, which keeps changing for the directors. We'd have obviously Jack, um, writer, would you know, have costume and we'd have makeup. Um, and, um, and, and that we'd sort of solve and crack every problem together. And actually that round table approach stayed with us the whole time. Um, and uh, it was a round table, but to be clear, it wasn't utterly a democracy because at some point someone's got to make a decision. But I think really the critical thing was um, that by, right by my side was our production designer, Joel Collins, who's also an executive producer on the show, which is not a normal thing for a production designer to be. Might be very normal for Joel. He's not a normal production designer, um, but it, it really speaks to how um, how his role spilled over into all sorts of other areas, and he um, he really looked after the whole sort of visual um, feel of 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 the episodes because of course what we had in 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 Northern Lights in the first season is every episode is a completely different location 
And so, you know, you kind of like burn through them really expensively um, as Lyra goes on her journey from her Oxford to her north. And, and so there were many different locations that we had to build um, that we did in the studio. So we built the whole of the north, or say we, Joel built the whole of the north in the studio. And obviously I don't know if that's gonna work, but I really, really trusted Joel. And if you really, really trust people, they give you a much better job. And you know, if he says he could do it, that's great, go for it. Or like the visual effects said, yes, we could do this. This is how we'll work the demons. Um, and, and they will show me things and we cast the demons together. But at the end of the day, I trusted Russell Dodgson, our visual effects supervisor, entirely with the creation of Yorick. I mean, to the extent that it, it's almost like Russell's, I mean, it's obviously Joe Tamberg, the actor's voice, but it's almost Russell's creation. And the way I did it was I sort of lent into my ignorance and just trusted everybody else. Um, and, um, and they caught everything brilliantly. Mm. And in, in Neris and Tracy, your your situation very different, I guess. I mean that you're in a sense you don't want the audience to notice the design of the show, the kind of style of it. Um, Tracy, first, I mean you've talked a bit about the kind of quite unusual uh, relationship with the director and the writer, kind of working on how it's going to be done, and then the director having a particular approach to shooting things that needed, you know, kind of moderation and, you know, meeting in halfway with somebody with a different expertise. But I'm just wondering in terms of the, the kind of visual uh, vision for the show, you know, the, the, the design of the show, how did you develop that? Did, did you want it just to look like documentary? Was that the, the plan? No, no, not, not, not at all. I mean, it, it, you know, like, like, like Jane's Discovery of Witches, it, it, was, it was very much a team effort. Um, but a much smaller team um, and you know you've, you've got the likes of Steve Laws and Joe sort of told us his vision and we just made you know we, we just made sure that we could we could give him that vision um, things like Gethin's house so you, so, so, so you wanted you wanted to sort of portray this sort of small council house with them all crammed in and of course you know you, you you go to council houses and if you know if you can find one and you can't you can't film in in, the, in that confines so we we had to build we we built built our our, our set um we didn't intend to but we found the money to um and and the majority of the other locations i mean Cardiff City Centre, um, our, our butchers, that they, they, they were all local local locations that our brilliant location manager found for us and Mitch, our designer, dressed superbly. Um, but yeah, that that look, I mean, it, it sort of, St Steve Laws and Joe had a, had a lot of prep time together in sort of, you know, with, with Joe explaining what he wants, what he wants and, and, and Steve being able to give him that magic. And Nara, so I mean, anything kind of chime with you there in terms of what Tracy's been saying? I mean, I'm sure we had the the same uh, kind of challenges over budget, Tracy. <laughs> and trying to, I mean, work with with what you've got. I think mm. for us, it wanted it to be super real, and um, we we had the conversation with Lucy, the director, in like the first conversations. She came in with this extraordinary mood board of kind of filmic references and another uh, kind of female centric coming of age stories that had inspired her from Lady Bird and um, and and other things. My brain's gone out, but there were so many beautiful images. We went, 
if you can deliver kind of 20% of this, I'll absolutely be delighted. And I think she excelled herself because it was a jumping off point that she then kind of grew into her own palette of colours for characters. It was lit so beautifully. She works very closely with, Domin uh, with Benedict Spence, the DOP, who's now Emmy nominated, sort of extraordinary um, kind of collaborator. So the two of them would... Um, it was all handheld. They were up close and, and in the middle of the action. We filmed on location. Every set was somebody's home or school or um, a corner where you had lots of locals kind of trying to join in. It was all very challenging. Um, and we had such a punishing schedule that, you know, the time you just had to kind of get, keep motoring and, uh, and they were brilliantly kind of fast as well. But yes, that, that lighting uh, kind of became her key because we didn't have much of it so we had to use what we had um, and also the beautiful Welsh weather I don't think it didn't rain for one day that we were filming in Cardiff it was like some extraordinary monsoon but again it became part of the palette of the show in the end because it was like that sympathetic background where even though it was grim and everyone felt like they had trench foot by the end of it when you got back into the edit and you saw the light on the the bus stop of the rain dribbling down, you know, it would have cost thousands to recreate that in a Hollywood movie, but we had it for free, thanks Cardiff. Um, but I really think, you know, those little moments where she could just, it was all paired back and it was all played on the face of that extraordinary actress, Gabrielle. Um, I, I think, you know, that's where she found the heart of the show and, and the look of it, we were delighted. And there's something about the, the naturalism alongside something sometimes quite surreal as well, that kind of delicate balance that, that Absolutely, you, you achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adrian, I think, I mean, one of the things people will remember most about Keeping Faith is not just the extraordinary kind of emotional power of some of those scenes, but the way it looked and how different it looked um, from a lot of dramas that people have been used to seeing. I mean, how, how did you set about getting that, that style? Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me about visual effects because it'd be actually quite a short conversation. Yes, it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, so, so um, of, of course, because we we uh, are an emotionally driven show, I think, again, referring to, 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 to Pip, she has a wonderful relationship with the DOP, Rory Taylor. And um, what 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 Rory and 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 Pip do, um, and and Jude, Judith Dine, our other director as well, do is is actually kind of translate the emotion visually, um, and, and and that quite often is incredibly. Um, uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's simple in because what you do is you 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 go into a location with your actors, and you just think it's almost like how would you shoot this normally? How would most people shoot this? And then you just turn it on its head. Okay, okay, that's not what we're going to do. You know, we're not going to start with a conventional shot and then move in. Um, so quite often, you know, I would find, um, you know, uh, Pip or Judith crouching, sort of hanging off a hanging off a, a curtain rail somewhere, looking for a shot because th they've always tended to look for shots which are always through something or under something, or it, it's extraordinary. Um, but it's it's it, it's out of necessity really because what we have to do is communicate the emotion visually. Um, we are character driven, we are emotionally driven. There's a, there's a spine of a story, but all the flesh is, is emotional. Uh, and so we have to, we have to translate that in, in visually. And so um, luckily we've got two directors who can do it brilliantly and, um, and, and have done so. 
And of course, the landscape is a key kind of character in the drama, really, isn't it? It's part of what yeah, we remember I mean, about it. We're very lucky. We we go as far west Wales as Larne, which is which is our fictitious um, town of Abercorn. Um, and and that's that's that is our that's our set really from Cardiff, including Cardiff, Newport up to Larne, is is our world, and that's where we inhabit. And luckily, you don't have to go too far out of Cardiff to find some fairly astonishing landscapes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we I think we have made uh, like like shows should do um, if necessary. We've we've made the landscape one of the characters as well, um, and and have been. Certainly, I think uh, quite a few people come to the show because they just import that they enjoy that part of that part of the character, the characters that, that we, we we portray. Um, another one for you, Adrian. I want to talk a bit about how you get performances out of your cast, and of course, and with with the other shows, I particularly want to talk about some of the really quite inexperienced talent that you're working with. But in your case, I'm thinking about how. Um, I mean, you've talked about the challenges of working in two languages but also the development of those characters that particularly I'm thinking of Eve and Mark Lewis-Jones, really extraordinary performance from him as well. And a kind of real slow burn from him, how you developed that in series two from what we'd seen in series one. Well, you know, if, if, if people like Mark and Eve, you, you get a lot for free, you know, because they are so super talented. Um, and that's taking nothing away from them, from the directors. But the directors will be the first to admit when they work with actors like that, they can get astonishing things for free. Um, but again, um, talking with, with Pip again, she's from, you know, originally from theatre. So she's very, very aware of performance and nuance. Um, there's a lot of subtlety in their performance. Um, and again, I, I think it's just about explaining the emotion of the scene and then actually handing it across to the actors. And then a, a bit like a bit like everybody's saying, you, you start to trust people. And that obviously has to extend to, to, to your lead actors. You absolutely do trust them. Um, and I should correct things. When I was saying that we're, we're working from a small, a small pool of actors, I'm not saying for a moment that it's, you know, some of them are untalented and some of them are. They're all, they're all very talented in different ways. We just don't have that much choice. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, picking up on the, the uh, I think what Jane said about trust, I think that extends from production designers to every facet of the crew, uh, but especially actors. If you, if you trust your actors, and you understand, and they understand what you're trying to convey, then you you will get great performances from them. Neris, with we've you've talked already about Gabrielle's extraordinary performance, but you know she'd be the first to say she was relatively inexperienced. How do you? I mean, Adrian's just talked about trusting your actors. Mm -hmm. um, is that a different proposition with somebody as inexperienced as she is or was? Well, well, funny enough, she was probably one of the most prepared and professional actors I've ever met. A lot of them. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was absolutely diligent with knowing, you know, what her motivation was. She carried, you know, she was in every scene, so she had to know where she was going from emotionally and where she had to get to. Um, I think the trust on set was, um, you know, one of those magical things really with the director Lucy Forbes and with Kaylee there as well to kind of in, uh, empower them to sometimes. To, to do that performance that is an impression, as I've said before, of you know her, her own life experience, but but to take the cues and and to um, to be free to try things. Um, Joe Hartley especially had you know such a daunting task to come mm. in and play a bipolar um, kind of sufferer who was you know mid crisis. So 
um, the way that Lucy worked with her was again, you know, really tailored to what we needed from her. She was sort of wound up and released onto set sometimes without anyone knowing what she was about to do. Um, and then, to, you know, she's a, a really, really um, kind of extraordinary actress. But you'd have to then, you know, take away and not talk to and keep her in the zone. And um, she was, you know, so massively prepared, Joe. She's, um, you know, and, and such a generous performer as well to work alongside Gabrielle as well and to make sure that you know they she was you know absolutely the focus of the scene as well um but Lucy took such time and kind of sort of um uh was very very tuned in to what they needed I think on the set the other thing I think also in the same as you Trace is that we had very very raw new performers and uh, that hadn't ever done television as well so you know, to find our cast, we did such wide uh, kind of casting sessions in Cardiff and, and all around South Wales, actually, and London, like a lot of the Welshies like to move to London. Um, but Rachel Sheridan, our casting um, director, did such a good uh, kind of open auditions system that we met some extraordinary people who ended up in it. And uh, this was their kind of like their main kind of uh, television break. And people that are still in, in, you know, our students and Gabrielle was only just out of drama school. So, you know, we were so lucky to find her, but lots of workshopping, lots of um, ability to be able to, with the school scenes to, um, to improvise as well. So it felt like very natural conversation. We weren't putting words or phrases into kids' mouths that didn't feel like it fitted. Um, so Kaylee was really open to let them, what would, how would you say this? And what would the slang be for that? And, and it, it made it such a fluid and, and really natural kind of way of, of having those group scenes as well. But yes, it, it, it came from, I think that trust on set um, mm. where people were allowed to, to, to try things out as well, you know, and, and were allowed to fail if they needed to. Tracy, your challenge on um, The Left Behind, I imagine, would be also about this very visceral, very disturbing material that you're dealing with. And you're asking you know, somebody like Sean to inhabit somebody's head who uh, ends up thinking and believing and doing terrible things. Um, and you've also got actors of colour who you're asking to kind of experience very viscerally what what it's like to be on the receiving end of an attack like that how, do, how does that feel on set when you're managing some that kind of very disturbing content well, well firstly so someone like sean i mean sean literally became gethin at the audition he turned up he hadn't slept he hadn't shaved and he 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 was the victim. He he was you know he was absolutely fantastic at the, at the audition and blew our socks off. Um, like Neris, we had we had a lot of new talent, um, a lot of diverse talent, which is brilliant. Um, but but they all trusted Joe immensely, absolutely trusted him, and he had a fantastic relationship with with, with the artists and managed to bring out the best you know that they, they trusted him implicitly um so yeah i mean he yeah it, it, it's all down to joe but but yes sean actually became became gethin at the audition and you know it's the uh, well a lot of his emotional scenes but certainly one one scene where where gethin where sean rather is is in the is in the the housing association is is in the housing association and he had half the crew in tears 
Um, and in between takes, he had to just go off. And you just want to strangle Kimberly Nixon, just say, yeah. give him a fucking roof over his head. You know, it was just, he's 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 brilliant. That, that is a devastating yeah. scene. I yeah. don't think I'll ever yeah. forget it. Yeah. Um, and Jane, we need to talk about Daphne. I mean, what what an incredible performance. How old was she when she started work on this? Um, I think she was 13 when she first when she started so I think she was 12 when we first auditioned her um, and um, she was actually um, one of the first people we auditioned and we it was just one of those things in life like love sometimes you think oh, I can't be it. it's the first one um, and it sometimes <laughs> is um, and uh, and anyway we weren't greenlit so we went back again and uh, she auditioned a second time um, and we auditioned her with Ruth Wilson and I've still got this image in my head of the two of them sitting on the sofa together with their sort of same eyebrows and shape of face um, but Daphne is extraordinary um, you know there are particular things you have to be aware of when you're working with child actors and I by that I don't just mean the hours it's um you know, you can sometimes push someone for a performance and I don't think it's always very suitable to push a child for a performance. Um, they, uh, sometimes you think they understand things that they don't. There's some things perhaps you don't want them to understand. That thing that actors have to do in genre pieces where they have to act the character and the plot at the same time. Um, and so there's a lot of things you have to think about. Um, and uh, we were lucky on um, on sort of you know three levels really. One was just the sheer spirit of Daphne. I mean, you know, she just loved coming into work every day, um, and that's sort of infectious and marvelous. The second thing is that she um, worked with her mother, who's an acting coach, and you know it was very much a relationship not between mother and daughter, but between acting coach and actor on set. Um, and that was very helpful. Um, and, and Maria's way of um, giving Daphne um, coaching on it was to explain the scene rather than tell her how to do the performance. And we were very clear that no director, no one would, you know, need, would say to a child how to do the line any more than they would an adult, which is often the way when you're in a hurry. Um, but um, uh, I think the third thing is just Daphne herself. And, you know, in fairness, we just forgot you know, you end up forgetting she's a child, not perhaps in between takes and all that thing, I'm happy to say, but certainly, you know, spending those eight hours in the edit and working our way through Lara's journey, I just completely forgot, completely forgot that she was a child. Um, it, it's just, she's just Lyra and, and an amazing performance of sort of um, not just maturity, but variety. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and and so it was, you know, I'd love to think we did all sorts of clever things to help her along her way. But ultimately, it was Daphne's journey um, helped by her acting coach. Um, and we, you know, turn the cameras on her and, you know, something happens. Well, we can't wait to see the um, next series very soon, isn't it? Yes. yes. Um, I'm going to go to questions now. We have... Um, Oh, somebody called anonymous attendee. We have several of those. Um, first question, in your experience, has the role of line producer and producer ever crossed over and within a low budget production, could the two roles be successfully combined or is this a recipe for disaster? I'm not gonna go round with all these questions, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you about that, Tracy, because you've so much experience as a line producer as well. well um, I, I, I actually, 
I actually produced and line produced the Left Behind, um, which which meant I felt in total control. <laughs> <laughs> I could have anything I wanted, um, which you know is is busy and it's a lot to do, but. Um, no, you, you you can do it. You can do it. It, it obviously depends on the size of the budget and the, and the size of the project and, and running yourself ragged. But it's 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 definitely doable, especially when you're working with execs like Aisha and directors like Joe and writers like Alan, where you are quite confident that this, you don't have to put as much effort into the script because, you know, the script, they'll, they'll, they'll do all the script work for you. So. Thank you for that. And um, another question. What's your advice? I'll come to you with that, with this one, Adrian. What's your advice to a first time writer director looking to team up with a suitable producer? Um, I, I don't think there's a simple answer because it's so much so much to do with chemistry. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I always say to people that one of the fastest way to progress in the street is to own the IP, is to own the idea, because then you can actually kick some doors down if people want that idea, you, that you, you, have, a, you have a superpower immediately. Um, in terms, I, I have to say on the whole, apart from first impressions, I think you have to work together or you have to ask people um, what, what producers are like and, and get a sense if they say, you know, quite simple things. I mean, I, I know it's not ridiculous, but it helps to, for example, share roughly the same politics. It just never works if you're at the other end of the, of, 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 of the political pole. Um, but I think get a sense of, of the material that people's worked on, meet people, and it, it's, it's instinct really, to be honest. There's no, there's no hard and fast rule, but uh, ask around and, and, and I think trust trust your gut instinct initially and hope you're right. Thanks for that. I've got a couple here, uh, Jane, for you for on, on his dark materials. First one, quick answer, please. Will we see the Malifa, the skateboarding hippos in series two? Not in series two, because they come into, um, they only appear in Amber Spyglass, which is the third book and that's season three. I love the idea that they're skateboarding hippos. Absolutely. That, that was from Freese Williams. We have a, another question for you, Jane, from Gaetano Setikasi, who is a huge fan of the show and the books and is following this webinar from Italy. Um, and he loves how you adapted the novels. And he said sometime, says some time ago, you tweeted that the scripts for series three were being written. I want to ask you if work is continuing smoothly despite the pandemic and can we get ex expect good news about it soon? Uh, yes, it's continuing very smoothly. Um, we have all eight episodes are in various stages of play at the moment. And um, uh, yes, I am hoping that obviously, I am hoping that we will have good news to uh, let everyone know about shortly. But um, actually, just to say, it's not just the scripts that we're doing. Um, Joel Collins is also doing production design work on it, early concept work. And as soon as uh, Russell Dodgson is free, finally, this week is the last week um, of his visual effects on season two, he will then turn his attention to the Galavespians um, and the Mulefa um, and all the exciting creatures in season three. So yes, work, work goes on and on and on. Well, they'll be saying hallelujah in Italy as well as in Wales over that. Um, 
somebody's just uh, somebody Rowan Alexandria this is a quick question for you all as an attendee I'm sad to miss attending the awards this year how do you feel being nominated but not going to the ball not having a chance to accept in person Adrian um golly I haven't you know I haven't really thought about it um it's always a nice it's always a nice evening um we're very lucky we're I think we've got about because we're also um nominated for eternal beauty as well um this year so uh, it saves me having to sit with one camp or the other <laughs> <laughs> there is oh well we had such an exciting time last we were so surprised to win last year it felt like a dream so yes we were very much looking forward to going back with a bit more decorum um <laughs> yes i'm sure we'll be uh, watching and uh, yes enjoying it online anyway but yeah it's just such a thrill to be um, a part of the the nominee nominations so yeah Shame it, we can't get up, but we will soon, I'm sure. No need to worry about tripping over on the way up to the platform <laughs> anyway. Tracy. Yeah, it, it would be. It would just be nice just to get together, wouldn't it, and just celebrate. And, and often at the the at the Baftas, you see people you haven't seen because yeah, everyone else is so busy and um, drink too much. But um, yeah, just seeing people, seeing people you haven't seen, I, I I really enjoy that and being able to celebrate together with the team and just say thank you and. Mm. Mm. Jane? Um, You've I, been to a few awards in your lifetime, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've, yeah, if you live long enough. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, actually, I, I, it hasn't really occurred to me. You know, I think there's so many strange things that happened this year that sitting on your sofa recording a speech for an award that, that, you know, you probably haven't won all on your own with only the dog for company is, you know, is, is kind of like begins to feel relatively normal compared to everything else that's happening. But actually, I feel that, I mean, listening to Tracy, Neris and Adrian, uh, about five minutes into this, I began to feel it's a really good question because I began to feel you know, I just I've just really enjoyed listening to everyone talk about their things and and you realize how much you miss that. And and actually, if we were all together, we would have that chat together in person. And um, and and guys, I think we should. I think we should all yeah. have something to ourselves at some point because yeah. I want to hear more. <laughs> I have another question. This one's for Adrian, uh, anonymous, our friend anonymous. Adrian, very excited to see that Ian Boromeche is returning with series three soon, because the Ian Boromeche is coming first, isn't it? And then um, keeping faith next year. Um, I see that Celia Imri is in the new series, which is very exciting. How was it working with the National Treasure? And does she speak Welsh? Uh, well, it, it was, as you'd expect, rather wonderful working with Celia, um, who is uh, uh, as good as and better as one could possibly hope for. Uh, in every sense of the word, she's, she's, um, she is a, I think she's just wonderful. I don't think she's a national treasure, but I think she's just wonderful. Uh, she doesn't speak Welsh. Um, and um, obviously the, the scenes uh, in Unborimercha, um, where she's in, they do speak English. Um, but um, hopefully that won't detract from S4C's enjoyment of the show. Um, I, I think it's a huge feather in our caps for the, that Celia liked the script enough to come and work with us. And um, uh, it was, I suppose it was a relief for Eve not to have to speak Welsh in those scenes. So she was quite, she was quite pleased to see Celia and would certainly like her back if we ever did another series. Um, I'm gonna, we're running out of time, but I'm gonna ask you each very quickly uh, to think about just off the top of your head, 
the best moment of making your show? What was the one of the best moments for you personally, when something clicked, when something went right, when some magic happened? Uh, so that we can end on a high. I've decided we're not going to talk about working in a pandemic and all that yeah. stuff. I want to hear about the highlights of making these shows. Just one each, please. Uh, who wants to go first? I'm asking you to choose. i <laughs> Um, it's a very memorable um, moment because it was the very last scene that we shot and it is the very last scene of the um, entire series and it's a, a, a moment where the mother and daughter dance together kind of just lost in the moment and it was something that we had absolutely run out of time to do so we sort of had like one chance to get it um, and the music started and they, they did such a, a beautiful job of kind of just just doing exactly what they needed to do. But when we cut, we turned and all of the essays were crying because it was just such an emotional moment. So it's just like you couldn't, no one could speak and it still gets me. I just think it's just like magic. We, we captured magic in that in that moment. And it's a lovely scene. Tracy. Mine was probably a, a Saturday for, for the housing, housing, um, housing meeting. And Joe had kept on and on and on, bless him, about Tracy, we've got to have brilliant essays, we've got to have authentic essays, people that have experienced some sort of poverty. And we were like, yes, yes, you know, we'll get them for you. We had a whole day to shoot this scene in the Housing Association, which we filmed in Gabalva Barracks. And the essays were fantastic. They were absolutely brilliant. And the look on Joe's face and the look on mine as if to say, told you so. <laughs> um, and we, we actually shot it in about four hours. And, and the actress who was playing the counsellor was bombarded by these essays who were sort of ad-libbing, but ad-libbing their own experiences. And it was, it, it was, it was magical. You know, we had all day to shoot it and we shot it in four hours. Um, and yeah, that, that, that was, that was magical. And that scene is one of my favorites. Jane? Um, I think this just, I can't do it without sounding impossibly cheesy, but actually I think I'll that- I'll go on. Yeah, well, I'll just do it anyway. I've been in America for too long. But Dark Materials, is it's such a marathon. And, and actually um, the best moment was coming into work every single solitary day, day in, day out, and working just on his Dark Materials. And, and I, I think that no matter what, and we did have quite a lot of issues and quite a lot of lows, but that didn't really matter. The point was, is that it was just coming into that studio in Cardiff and into those worlds that we had created with that group of actors, with that Welsh crew. It just felt like a dream I had been waiting to realize you know, for most of the 21st century. And um, I just think the sheer privilege of doing it was the best moment all the time. That's brilliant. Adrian. Well, I suppose that it's actually relatively recent. Um, the third series we were, we were, um, we had stopped filming on March 16th because of the pandemic. And uh, obviously it was very strange. We, we then spent 16 weeks, um, out of production. Um, and I think the day when we got it back on the road again, the day when the crew came together again, the cast came together again, after going so through so many, uh, such a such a, a rainbow of emotion over those 16 weeks of wondering whether we were ever gonna finish the, the third series, wondering whether it was, was the third, was the whole series going to sort of finish in a splutter of a pandemic. But actually when we got it all back together and as, all of us know who, who, who are now making shows, 
you know, going through the whole, all the new jumps and the new learning curves we're having to go through, it all came together on that day. And there was a general kind of sense of, of, of mutual respect and love around uh, as we all mess up again, or socially distanced, obviously, but we mess up again and realise that actually we, we touch wood, we've beaten it. And that was a great feeling. That's a great note to end on, Adrian. We did talk about the pandemic in the end, but in a good way. Um, it just remains for me to say a huge thank you to all of you for a really fascinating session. Thank you for being good-humoured, informative, honest. It, it, it was lovely, and I'm sure other people have enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, we don't have to wait very long to find out who won, because BAFTA Cymru Awards will be streamed on Sunday evening. Uh, but as far as we're concerned, you know, let's, let's use that cheesy line, you're all winners, and it's been a really thoroughly wonderful conversation. Jochen Vaur, no star, everybody. Thanks, guys. Good luck, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.